You're listening to episode 395 of the UAV Digest. I'm Max Flight. And I'm David Vanderhoof. Apologize to everybody. It was my fault making this a day late, but lots of things going on and needed a little rest respite before we could do a good show for you instead of a crappy one. <laughs> You're making quite an assumption, but all right, <laughs> I'll go with it. Uh, lots of stories this week, David. We've got a $1 billion UAS contract, Kitty Hawk Air Mobility. I'm kind of fond of Kitty Hawk, considering I look at one every day. A sports game halter, that would be the football. No recreational drones in UAE. Medical deliveries in the Navajo Nation. Locating pets after a disaster. This is the follow-on Millie story. Peeking at volcanoes. An unidentified drone spotted over Atlantic City. And a drone research contract at a UAS test site. Yep, I guess we got a lot of stories, so we better get going. Well, the first story comes from DefensePost.com. U.S. Special Ops Command awards a $1 billion counter drone contract. Andrus Industries has won a 10-year, $1 billion counter UAS integration contract. And this contract was awarded by the U.S. Special Operations Command, SOCOM. What does that mean, David? What is SOCOM? SOCOM is the combined operations of the Air Force, the Army, the Navy, and the Marine. The special operations like the SEALs or the um, the special forces that we use to teach that fight irregular warfare. So you're not your normal frontline troops, but basically your special operators, as they'd like to be called. Um, so that's a combined command of all the services report to uh, SOCOM based in Florida. So they're doing to deliver, advance, and sustain counter UAS centers and systems. Andoril Industries is to design, prototype, and develop this technology in a layered configuration. And this is to be something that is uh, usable anywhere the command operates. Andoril has what they call their, their counter UAS lattice system. And there are a number of components to the lattice system. There's a solar-powered sentry tower, and that has all the sensors on it. And there's something called an Anvil small UAS. We'll talk about that in a second. And this all runs on the Lattice operating system. But I guess, David, Anvil is, I guess, a good name for, for, for a small UAS that has this kind of a task. Yeah. I, I, what, what is it? Hitting, hitting a, um, using a sledgehammer to take out a fly? Anvil is a kinetic Vertol drone. Um, it uses physical speed and onboard guidance to seek and destroy drone threats. My co-host here has a little humor that, you know, if it's going on a one-way mission, maybe it's not a vertol, but a verto, meaning vertical takeoff, no landing. No landing. That's, that just sort of occurred to me. It seems... Uh appropriate. Uh, interesting concept. This system, they say, will or autonomously rather detect, classify, and track targets, and it, it alerts operators to threats and allows for different options for mitigation or what they call engagement. I guess engagement means here comes the anvil drone. 
And Lattice is an AI software background. Um, it uses sensor fusion, machine learning, and mesh networking. It integrates into real-time data into the Andrew hardware and third-party autonomous operating structures. So Lattices is another good term, you know, if you're trying to mesh or create a, a web of information, Lattices is a good term. So again, for every UAS, there's seems to be there's a counter UAS out there. And this is big. I mean, this is a, a billion dollar contract. So obviously the, the U.S. military is uh, in, investing quite heavily in this type of counter UAS technology. And this kind of investment is important. And we'll see that a little bit later when we talk about UAE, um, why this kind of investment is important. So Max, I, I could not resist this because I have out in front of my office or the store at the museum, I have a Kitty Hawk flyer. And this is a Larry Page backed drone guru expects you to be a future passenger. So Chris Anderson, who co-founded 3D Robotics and Larry Page funded Kitty Hawk and picked up a portion of 3D Robotics. Chris Anderson is the Kitty Hawk COO. So Kitty Hawk has been working on urban air mobility, um, and like I said, the museum has two Kitty Hawk flyers that were a battery-powered concept vehicle um, for a single person, kind of like a motorcycle with eight rotors. So kind of very cool. Their air mobility program is supposed to be pilotless. Chris Anderson, of course, is a really interesting guy. There's some sort of illuminating quotes in this article from him. One is he says, I am a drone guy, and this was the perfect, obvious next chapter. Just bigger drones, and the use case is so much more obvious, moving people from A to B more quickly and as cheaply as a car. It's the kind of mission I can get behind. He said on the tech side, there's no reason we can't move a significant fraction of people off the roads and into the sky. So uh, very ambitious. Kitty Hawk is targeting um, 10% of current road miles in cities that will be eliminated by these urban air transports. Um, Another Anderson quote would be, I am convinced it's a time of revolution in aviation. I was convinced 10 years ago at a smaller scale, Anderson said. Now we can see the same thesis applies at a bigger scale. We still have regulatory challenges ahead of us. It always goes back to regulatory challenges, huh? doesn't it, Max? Of course it does. They are what they are. Maybe they can be shortened a, a little bit, but still it's the safety of the airspace and the uh, and the travelers within it that are the sort of the prime directive of the FAA and that's that's the way we like it. It is. So we haven't had a ground your grounded file in a while, Max, but this one was interesting. Premier League clash between Brentford and Wolves halted for 19 minutes due to a drone hovering over the West London Stadium. And not just that, but where this West London Stadium is, it makes it even a worst case scenario. Yeah. Why is that? Because it's right off the end of the runway of Heathrow. Oh. Okay. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, play. This is part of the English Premier League and uh, uh, football, which we would call soccer here in the colonies. 
but uh, it was halted. There was a drone that showed up. Uh, the rules are that I guess when they halt the game that both teams have to return to the dressing rooms, which is what we would call the locker rooms, uh, I guess. And th there was some confusion apparently. The teams didn't know what was going on and why they were being uh, asked to leave, but um, they had to remove this drone or chase it away, I guess. Uh, somebody was apparently trying to view the game take some video of the game. Yeah, trying to get live action footage of the game. But, you know, if you, first of all, flying over a game is not a good thing, you, especially, right? And, and then flying over a stadium near an airport, namely one of the largest airports in the world, is really not a good thing. No. So definitely, um, it still amazes me at these days, Max, we still got people who are trying to do stupid things with drones. And that's had an impact in the United Arab Emirates as well. Yeah, the UAE bans flying of recreational drones after a fatal attack. And this is from abcnews.gov. Recreational drones and light sport aircraft have been banned in the United Arab Emirates. This comes after a fatal drone attack on an oil facility in a major airport. Also because some of the people were not following the rules. They flew drones outside the area of their permits and often into areas where drones are prohibited. The penalty for violating the ban is heavy. It is. In fact, we see that it's six months in jail and a 100,000 dirham fine for flying drones without a permit. Now, six months in jail, that's pretty serious. There are some exceptions uh, you have to get a permit for it. Things like companies with work contracts or commercial or advertising projects where there's filming uh, using drones required for the, the project. So um, there are some exceptions, but you still have to get a permit for the exception. So here's a, a country that's really clamped down on this the drone attack which prompted this was not good. So it's interesting, Max. We talk about how bad regulations are here in the States, but then we go in the, in the next story, we get a regulation like this where, okay, maybe it's not so bad here in the United States. Mm. And common drones being used for terrorist purposes is why we have counter UAS. It's amazing how all of stories sort of become lattice work together. They do. <laughs> So let's talk about some good news. This is also from ABC, um, abc15.com. The Healing Eagle Feather Project is a partnership between Mission Go and the Navajo Nation. That's right. And this is to deliver medical supplies and other essentials using drones to people who may be out in remote areas. And I think I, I saw maybe in the article that the Navajo Nation has a population of something like 400,000 around there. So uh, there, there are a number of uh, people out there. But this would be used to deliver things like insulin kits and prepackaged uh, meals. They also give some examples, things like uh, large animal medicine, emergency communication devices, and <laughs> anti-venom which, uh, yeah, if you need anti-venom, you really like to be able to get some quickly. <laughs> quickly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, good application. Snake bites are quick. Mm. The Mission Go, and we've talked about them before. It's got a, their their tools have a fourteen pound payload, 
And Mission Go won the AUVSI Humanitarian Award for longest human UAS organ flight, delivery flight. And if you want, you can go back to episode 375, where we talked to Mission Go's Frank Paskowitz, the executive vice president of cargo operations. And we also talked with the lead pilot, Ryan Henderson. So you can find that quickly, if you like, by just going to the uavdigest.com slash 375, and that'll take you right to the episode uh, post where we talk to uh, the Mission Go folks. Well, we really liked Millie's story last week. It (laughs) permeated everywhere. Clearly, that story, I still keep seeing notes popping up that a lot of people are discovering that you can attract dogs with sausages hanging from drones. But this week, we've got drones for animal rescue. Doug Thrawn flies around the world saving pets and wildlife after natural disasters. This is from DroneLife.com. Douglas Thrawn is a photographer and drone pilot. He travels to natural disasters to conduct animal rescues. And he uses a Matrice 210 uh, V2 drone along with the FLIR camera, an X-T2. And and as you can imagine, after you have a a disaster, a a hurricane or a storm or earthquake or an eruption or anything like that, where there's a lot of devastation and so forth— There are a lot of animals running around, some of them pets and some of them just wildlife that are, uh, you know, in a a pretty strong state of need. In distress. They're in distress. HBO Max TV has a show called Doug to the Rescue, which chronicles the rescue. One example is after a Category 5 hurricane in the Bahamas, he used a Matrice drone and infrared camera to search for dogs at night. He could switch from infrared to visual to help distinguish the dogs from other heat sources. I kind of wonder what the other heat sources were. Well, he was saying that um, in the in the Bahamas, because of the you know it's a sunny place and all, that uh, a dark object, a rock or something, could absorb a lot of the uh, the warmth from the sun during the day, and at night it would be picked up by the infrared camera. So at times he needed to, uh, to switch to visual, and his rig has a, a light on it as well. So he could get in close, switch on the, uh, you know, the, the floodlight or the spotlight, I guess, um, and then use the optical camera to say, okay, we've got an animal, or no, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a rock or something like that. But, uh, boy, this is really, I mean, this is wonderful stuff because, uh, you know, these are, animals that have, in many cases, no chance of survival on their own in a situation like this. And a lot of people, unfortunately, leave their pets in a crisis. And, you know, or so, I mean, definitely good. This is definitely good works and drones for good. Um, Thrawn did have some advice for others. Become a good drone pilot first. He is in full manual mode. So, um, yeah, clearly... There's piloting skills involved to do this. You don't get rich doing this. Eh, anything probably worthwhile you don't get rich doing. And it's a labor of love, which yeah, sounds like it sounds like he's going straight to heaven because this is definitely, for us animal lovers out there, it's really important work. So I haven't seen the HBO Max uh, show, which again is Doug to the Rescue. 
Um, so I, I can't speak to uh, the, the quality of it or anything else, but it, it sounds like it's worth taking a look at if you have HBO Max. And if you if you do, and if you've seen some episodes, send us some feedback. We'd love to hear what you think about the series. So let's talk about, we haven't talked about NASA in a long time. Um, remember, the A stands for aeronautics, not just administration. So volcano observing drone flights opened a door to routine hazard monitoring. And what is this? This is BB Loss, UAS's. So there's been a long-term collaboration between NASA and Black Swift Technologies. Um, they've been doing this together for a while. But most recently, they flew a Black Swift S2 UAS over a volcano in the Alaska Aleutian Islands. Uh, the volcano is a McCushion, I guess, McCushion uh, volcano. And one of the features of this S2 is that it's got, uh, well, it's modular in terms of the payload, so you can swap in and out different payloads. And the U.S. Geological Survey got involved in this uh, little collaboration as well, and they brought a, a payload to the party that is able to detect additional gases and collect visual and thermal images of the volcano. So what is the S2? Well, it's a fixed wing designed to carry science payloads. It can fly in a 20,000-foot ceiling with a 90-minute operating flight time. Its modular payload can be up to five pounds, and it is a pusher propeller, and it can fly in demanding atmospheric conditions. So it can fly in bad weather or, you know, flying over volcanoes. There's a lot of updrafts and downdrafts that you probably wouldn't get in a normal flight. And in this uh, volcano survey, uh, this particular volcano, they, they flew BV loss. Uh, the volcano is 15 miles away. The S-2 incorporates uh, autonomous systems in a programmed flight plan. And then at the summit of the volcano, this S-2 captured some high-resolution visible light as well as thermal images. And also they used the sensors to detect gases. And that can be important because that can indicate changes in the volcano's activity. So uh, the, the composition, the types of gases that the volcano's emitting can uh, tell you something about what's going to happen next. Yeah, so basically you can tell that if the sleeping giant is about to awake. Right. So, so we've got a unidentified flying UAS. Um, is that a UFU? <laughs> Um, this is from the drive.com, David's favorite website. Um, pilot video and FAA interview reveal bizarre encounter with unidentified aircraft over Atlantic City. Having flown multiple times with the Geico Skykypers over Atlantic City, I was kind of fascinated at this video. I'm like, I know all of the know this area pretty well. It's but a Air Force pilot was flying on his day off a diamond da40 and something strange this was back in september of 2018 yeah this pilot is i mean he's a pretty uh, skilled pilot he's a kc30 uh, kc135 aerial tanker pilot and there's a video uh youtube video that we'll have in the show notes and the video is is horrible quality like 240p, not sure why. 
the comments are highly skeptical. Uh, but the the trouble with that video is it's it's not really telling the the story. There's a lot more to it. So this uh, DA40 was being uh, flown um, at 2,500 feet, so fairly fairly low level, and detected what he said was a UAS 100 feet from the aircraft. I uh, went circled back to take a look at it. And that as they were circling, this is as it's reported in the uh, the FAA report, uh, the UAS was following the airplane. He said that the UAS was reported to be a commercial vehicle about five feet in size. I'm not sure what commercial vehicle means in this context. A store-bought drone? Yeah, maybe. I mean, five feet in size is kind of a sizable drone, though. Yeah, it is. So there was video recorded of the UAS, um, and um, the pilot reported it. Uh, this is under the FAA mandatory occurrence report. And he decided that decided the UAS as a rotor craft with an unknown quantity of rotors, having a camera hanging from a large V-shaped antenna on top, saying it was very maneuverable and fast. And... The video, if you look at it really closely, you can see this thing flying around. But um, it definitely is a UAS, but it, it, it's definitely a weird kind of event. It followed his aircraft, which is kind of creepy. interesting. Yeah, it is kind of <laughs> creepy. So I, I guess we don't really know what this is. And we mentioned this was from uh, 19, uh, eight, 19. This is from 2018. Sorry, wrong century. Uh, 2018, and the reason that we're just hearing about it now is that the drive has a a large database with over 10,000 FAA reports, and this comes out kind of by accident, accident, trolling through those reports and trying to find interesting things. The video, we'll, we'll put the a link to the uh, to the video in the show notes, but again, it's a, it's extremely poor quality. I, I think it. Well, I'm sure that the original is in much higher quality, and for some reason, what went up on YouTube is really really low quality. So it, that's kind of unfortunate. Um, but you can take a look and see what you think this is. So Grand Forks Herald has a news that the FAA awarded contracts for drone research at Grand Sky. More than $2 million worth of contracts awarded to General Atomics Aeronautic Systems, Inc., or G-A-A-S-I, and Apero Systems, LLC. General Atomics got the bulk of this $2 million award, I believe, and they're going to focus on detect and avoid technology. And then uh, Apero Systems is going to look at something else. How radio signals function at different altitudes and in different environments. Um, For controlling unmanned aircraft and live streaming high-resolution video. Also research to evaluate the use of LTE cellular networks for unmanned aircraft. Uh, We're still, you you know, uh, it's kind of funny, Max. We keep talking about LTE and, and, and 5G and all of this other stuff and, you know, We've got pilots complaining that it's going to knock their aircraft out of the sky, and here are all the drone guys going, yeah, we need it to fly the aircraft. So I, it, it's so complicated. Yeah. 
And uh, these two companies are going to work in conjunction with the Northern Plains UAS test site. And that, of course, is near Grand Forks Air Force Base. In North Dakota. Yeah. Um, you don't realize, you don't think about how radio signals function at different altitudes and in different environments, but it's an interesting revisit on probably technology we haven't talked about in decades, hmm. you know, because we just take it all for granted that we just can turn on our phones and, and get stuff, so... I found a great video of the week, but my co-host corrected me that it was part two. So we've got two great video of the week. And if you've been to Hawaii and the North Shore, watching surfing is very cool. But this is really a wild day. This is at Waimea Bay. And uh, the first the first one is Monster Waimea Bay Part 1, Heavy Carnage. And there's a lot of surfers out there. And if you like to see, if you like to see a big flock of surfers getting wiped out by giant waves, part one is pretty good. And then part two, Monster Waimea Bay, part two, Taming the Beast, and uh, far fewer wipeouts, uh, more uh, more surfers uh, successfully riding the surf. But these are some big, big waves, and you know I don't think there's a better way to watch heavy surfing like this other than uh, from an aerial perspective and these drones do a great job yeah and it i i'm pretty sure at one point it looks like one of the drones got hit by one of the waves too it was really kind of amazing that there were multiple drone operators flying and filming filming this so i'm it's definitely a video worth watching and you can do that by just going to our webpage. That's right. That's the UAVdigest.com, and you'll find show notes there for all of the episodes, including this one, of course, with links to all the news stories, the videos, all the stuff that we talk about. So we really appreciate you taking the time to listen to the UAV Digest. We enjoy doing this, and we hope you do too. And Max, it's 395. Mm -hmm. That means we're five episodes away from 400. Yeah, amazing. Huh? Do you think do you think we actually planned on doing 400 of these? No. <laughs> no. So, where do folks find us online, David? In social media. They can find us on Twitter at UAV Digest, on Facebook at facebook.com/UAV Digest. You can find us on our Slack listener team, and you do that by sending us an email to feedback at the UAV Digest.com. And we also like to hear stories and con reach out to us and to send us some stories you want us to talk about and tell us about your drone experiences. And of course, Max and I can be found on LinkedIn and anywhere you can look up our names. That would be flight with an F L I G H T and I'm Vanderhoof and you don't need to know how to spell that. <laughs> so with that, I'm going to say this is David getting ready for the blizzard. And this is Max getting my shovels out as well. Thanks for listening.